That's good. You guys ever notice that Christmas seems to be getting a bit grittier these days? <laughs> Maybe a little bit um, of disillusionment seems to just sneak in somehow to all of our, all of our, uh, just talk about it at church and, and everywhere else. I've noticed this, and and it, it is an interesting thing to notice. During World War One, something amazing happened, and we heard about this in school, and it's been talked about many times, and there's been so many. Um, photos come out of this event, but at first light on Christmas morning, these German men left their bunkers and walked through no man's land. And no man's land would have been quite a large stretch of land with just barbed wire. And there's lots of images of people being stuck in there and shot. And this was a a terrible place. And they came across no man's land and they had their hands out and they learned an English phrase. It was Merry Christmas. And so they're saying it. Merry Christmas! And they, they're walking across, and the Allies thought that this was a trap. They're like, no way, we're falling for this, until they got closer and realized that they were unarmed. And the Allies came out of their trenches, and there's some just like powerful photos of the event. The Germans came over, and, and they brought their cigarettes, and they gave them as presents, and they brought different kinds of puddings, plum puddings, and they gave it to them. And they just started singing Christmas carols to each other, first in German, and then to English, and what they found is all down the Western Front, people were singing Christmas carols, and then the other group would echo it back. It was the great Christmas truce. So cool. See, Christmas is wonderful, and, and it's amazing. The power of Christmas is absolutely stunning. Our memories are so crystallized around Christmas, aren't they? Because there's songs that we only sing during this one month, hopefully. It's really like so many memories come with, with song, and there's so many foods that we reserve for Christmas. So smell and just family time and events. I mean, it's one of those times where our memories are so strongly attached, and it's also why it can be so painful. Um, I've been really following sort of like Toby Mac's journey with his son passing away. And, and his funeral was, was quite an event with all of just his closest friends showed up. And, and I, I watched this and oh, you, you just feel just this, just, there's so much emotion in these, in these pictures. And, and right around Thanksgiving, he just started posting all the pictures of his son at Thanksgiving because Memories are crystallized around Thanksgiving, similar to Christmas. And this is something that happens at Christmas. It's like the highest of highs. But because of that, it's a special highlighter upon the greatest pain in our life, isn't it? Like everything, that everyone that's lost, that, that has died, at Christmas, we just, we feel it. Like just, oh, all of our memories of that person, and, and they're gone. And so everyone in this room just feels this groan at Christmas. Perhaps um, your family has, has, isn't what it used to be, and maybe there's, there's been divorce, and so there's just memories of past Christmas, and, and when things were well, or health is robbed, or strained relationships are highlighted, maybe past, like, um, past problems as far as immorality has surfaced, and, and at Christmas, you just feel it, and the pain of everything just is kind of highlighted, isn't it? So Christmas, it's this massive high, and it's also this just like, oh. And last week, we talked about the fact that God fills our heart with joy, and that's so true. 
But this is also true. Romans 8, this is what Paul says. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. You see, we all groan, don't we? Like, we feel it this week especially. Doesn't it feel like that? It got so cold. And then we realized that the city didn't have a plan for our homeless. And it's like, oh. And they're just intense. And there's just this groaning. We, we showed up to the church, and there was this tarp. And, and I was like, Tony, what, what, what's on the lawn? And he just said, oh, that's, there's a guy under there. And he, and he said, Tony just said, he's, he's sleeping sitting up to just try to stay warm. And, and he was just so shaken by this. It's just this groaning. It's like, that's not right. This morning, I spoke at Metro, and this lady came in, and she was so shaken because her best friend, Lily, got stabbed at the mission this morning. And she just said, I don't know why these people are doing this to us. And she, she was just sobbing that her friend was stabbed. Another woman had a son, and they moved to Kelowna because they thought Kelowna was like this wholesome town. And, and he got dr- addicted to meth a year and a half ago. And she just wanted prayer. She's like, it's, it's ruining our life. Like, my daughters won't come home for Christmas. And so this Christmas, it's a total disaster. Just groaning. And we all have our own unique groanings, don't we? The loss of a pregnancy or a spouse or a, a friend, a, a child. And, and we all bring that into the holiday with us. And, and we all get that feeling. Some people feel lonely and just want to get married or just like, oh. I prayed with a blind girl last week and she just was like, you know, this is, how is this ever going to end? And, and there's so much trauma and, and friends who have left the faith. And we all, we all know this. And I think it's really a, an important thing to recognize that we all groan, every one of us. I think sometimes we think that other people don't. I pray with so many people, and I'm always shocked by the fact that this is the common denominator of humanity. People that I think, they're so wealthy. <laughs> There's no way they have troubles. And then I pray with them, and I realize, you're just like me. No one has arrived. No one has it easy or well off, not one person would say, you know what, I'm here. There's not one, and that's a shocking thing. We live in a world with two tremendous pains, and the first one is death. And here's the reality of this, is that we love like immortals, don't we? Our love is eternal, because we're created for eternity, so we love eternally, but people that are mortal, and this is such a a tension, and then there's sin in our world. In Hebrews 11, it says that we long for a better country, and our souls long for something that's not yet. And this is where Advent starts. Luke begins his gospel in the grittiness of this whole narrative. He starts it in the strangest place. Paul says that we groan as in pains of childbirth, and you're thinking there's no worse pain on earth than childbirth. Girl or women that have had children, truth. Is that the worst thing there is? Jill's like, yes. I was, I was there for two, and it seemed terrible. Paul's saying that we are in pains, like childbirth, but it is this beautiful metaphor because any mother would say it was worth it because the life that was unleashed at the end is so tremendous. So we're, today we're going to be talking about real hope, and not like a candy-coated sort of Christmas card hope, 
but just real truth, bedrock. I can base my life on this hope. So let's pray. Um, I recognize that many of you right now, you just already feel emotionally triggered. And, and when we're not thinking, when we're thinking with our brainstem, we're not able to take in information. It's important to just say, God, speak to me through your scripture. I want to see how Luke unwraps Advent. So let's just pray and ask the Spirit to fill us and just give us true wisdom, hope, truth. So ask God to fill you with his Spirit and to just speak to you individually, and then I'll pray for us after that. Father, we, we're here because we want to hear from you. So I pray that your spirit would speak to each one of us and give us truth in our individual groaning, God. You're the only one that knows. God, come and just speak truth and, and life into us, Father. Amen. But we're about to unpack an incredible story. The birth of John the Baptist is stunning. And many of us have never really even heard this story. We don't talk about it often. So open your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke 1. Or just grab a pew Bible there. We're going to start in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. By the way... The reason that Luke starts this way is to paint a picture. It would be like saying, in the time of Donald Trump, it would have this, it would would set sort of socially what was happening, and it would set sort of what's happening in the world. And this is really an intentional play. What he's saying is, this is in the time of King Herod, because King Herod um, was really well known. He was well known for his brutalness. He, he actually killed 35 of the most prominent Jews when he came into power. He was a man that killed many of his wives because he, he thought that they were talking about him, which they probably were. Bad man. During this time, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So this priest was an old man. He was probably 60 or 70. Here's a great painting of them. I think it's always good to have, like, a nice image. They, like, we're talking a nice old guy, right? And look at his, his wife, she would have been really looked up because she was from the line of Aaron. They were highly respected. This would have been a really awesome couple. This would be like, oh, I mean, like Barb and John in a few years. That's who they are. Verse 6. I mean, a lot more than a few years, many years. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. This was their shame. Like, she describes this as her biggest disgrace. Women had value for childbirth and for her to be unable to have a child, everybody would have assumed that this was God punishing them. They believed that God closed the wombs of women who had secret sin. 
And so here's the priest and his wife, and they're thinking, you guys are so good, but you're hiding something. This is what everybody thought, and this was their shame. They would have prayed about this their whole lives. This was her biggest disgrace. Verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This is amazing. So there's 700 priests in a division. So he's part of 700. This is kind of what one of the divisions would look like. 700 priests. And there were 24 divisions that would each get to do this twice a year. So the odds of him getting to go into the Holy of Holies was one in 700 twice a year. So that is really low. He never would have been able to go in before. And what they would do is they would cast lots. So they would have like a knuckle of a camel and they would, they would just roll it. And I don't know exactly how it worked, but for him to be chosen was incredible. And this would have, he never would have gone in. So now it's his turn to go into the Holy of Holies. It's 15 feet tall, so about from here to the black and about from here to the wall, about this big. This is how big the Holy of Holies was. And so he got to go in and light the incense. So he would walk through the curtain that that God split when Jesus died, and he would be in the Holy of Holies, and he would take some hot coals, and there would be a little table of incense, and he would put the hot coals on the table. He would wait for them to light. He would see smoke, and right then he he would bow and back out of the Holy of Holies It would take about two minutes. So this was, he's like, yes, I'm finally chosen. What are the odds that this happened? But something happened that was unbelievable. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. This has never happened before. A priest goes in the Holy of Holies. He's worried he's going to fall dead because he hasn't done all the ceremonial rites properly. And Gabriel appears, the most powerful angel. Oh, he was terrified. The last time Gabriel appeared was 600 years to Daniel. That's when he was there. And right then, he's probably thinking, I'm about to die. This is how the priests die in here. Gabriel does it. I've cracked the code. He's ready to die. Gabriel would have the appearance of lightning, and he thinks, see you later. I guess Elizabeth does have sin, and that's why we're not having a baby. See you later, world. But that's not what happens. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or for other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Spirit even before he is born. It's called the Nazarite vow. This is John the Baptist. It's quite an interesting thing. He thinks he's about to die, 
And does Gabriel say, fear not, I'm a good angel. That would make sense. Fear not, I promise not to kill you. No. Fear not, I'm unarmed. You think all these natural things for him to say, but he says, fear not, for your prayer has been heard. This is fascinating. He's been praying for decades to have a child. And they had this fear that God isn't listening to them or that they're forgotten, that they're all alone. And Gabriel goes after his real fear first. You are not alone. You're not ignored. You see, they watch their friends get pregnant, probably brag about their kids. They probably saw their friends greet their kids and hug them and kiss them and be like, God, what about us? Like, when's it our turn? And their fear was, you don't listen to me, that my prayers are just going into the sky and there's nothing going on up there. Either you don't exist or you don't care. And I think we all see this. Our prayers go unanswered sometimes, it feels like. And we see other people enjoying the blessings that we want. Like wedding pictures. I hear lots of people say that your wedding pictures are beautiful, but ugh. People ache when they see other people's wedding pictures because they want that, and there's the loneliness. Or they'll see other vacations, or, or people having family, and they're like, oh. Or they'll see someone else with their husband or with their, their wife, and there seems to be more love there, or whatever it might be. But we see the thing that we're praying for and see other people enjoying that, and we think, God, are you listening? But now their biggest prayer was being answered, a baby. And so our tendency is to be like, oh, God, you see, he answered their prayers. This is what God does. This is the prayer of Jabez. God will answer it. Just pray long enough. Just knock on the door hard enough. But no, listen to what Jesus says. Things were not easy for them. They had this baby, but things went south in a hurry. Listen to this, Matthew 23. And so upon you will come, he's talking to the Pharisees, all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood, from the righteous, sorry, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, was murdered at the temple. So they were given this baby, and then he is murdered. In 2003. Excavators in the Kidron Valley discovered a monument called Absalom's tomb, and they didn't know that this was even there. This is really fascinating. They dug it all out, and they found an inscription in there that reads this. This is actually what it looks like. (laughs) I like that guy. It says, This is the tomb of Zechariah, the martyr, the holy priest, the father of John. So they had the baby. And then he was murdered. And so Elizabeth is thinking, God answered my prayer, but I haven't arrived. I'm groaning more than ever. And then they lived as poor people, and they lost their house when their father died. Then John was put in jail. And then the king got drunk at a party and told the girl that you can have anything you want. And in front of all these people, she said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And because he was so full of pride, that's exactly what happened. 
they cut his head off, and they brought it to a party on a platter. This is what happened. This is groaning. They groaned like everyone else. And Jesus said that he is the godliest man apart from himself. He didn't deserve to groan. The people that seem to be blessed aren't blessed because they have less sin or do anything right. The fact is that this is our reality. Mother Teresa used to walk by a Hindu temple all the time, and they would throw rocks at her. And she actually formed a little hospital in a hotel behind it, and so she would have to, like, walk the long way around because they would throw rocks at her. She heard, though, that there was an imam, which is a holy man, one of the, the Hindu's holy men, and they, he had leprosy, and they left him on the front steps to die. And she just thought, that can't happen. And so she walked to the front of that temple, and she scooped him up as they're throwing rocks at her. That's how he was, she was a little lady, but she was feisty. And carried him to the hospital and stayed with him till he died. And, and after that, she said that they never threw rocks at her again. And she quoted Romans when asked about this. Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, there's a lens that Scripture invites us to have. So often we view our lives just in terms of, of the here and the now and, and, and my lifetime. And Mother Teresa had a totally different lens. And it, it actually changed the way that she lived she was okay with suffering because it's promised in Scripture. She probably had that belief to a fault. But this is our reality. And when Mary has Jesus in her belly, imagine this scene. Here's Mary with Jesus, and she's got a little baby bump. And here's Elizabeth with John the Baptist, and it's pretty big, six months older. And they meet each other, they hug and this is really cool. John the Baptist leaps inside of her belly like, bloop, bloop, and, and they're both just like crying tears of joy. And then Mary leaves and writes this thing called the Magnificat. This is beautiful. I invite you to read the whole thing um, at some time during this holiday. This is what she says. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. He's absolutely destroyed her life and her reputation. Holy is his name. And here's how she sums it all up. He has filled the hungry with good things. You see, you will always be hungry. This will never end, but he feeds us. This is such a wonderful truth. Mary, with the Savior of the world in her belly, says, we will always be hungry. We will never arrive. We will always groan, but he feeds us. He's not forgotten us. He's mindful of us. He hears our prayer, and he fills us with good things. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. They were, they were watching so many of people in their church die every day. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. 
And then this is the lens of Scripture and Advent. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He's saying, I want you to change your perspective and have this eternal look at life. Even in the groaning, he is so present. But it doesn't mean he doesn't care for us in the midst of it. When Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus had died, he's thinking to himself, you know what, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to go raise him from the dead anyways. But he shows up. He knows the end. He knows he's going to raise him from the dead. But Mary and Martha were crying when he got there. And Jesus sees their pain. And what does Jesus do? Is he like, ah, don't worry about it. He's going to come back to life. Yeah, babies, don't be babies. Does he do that? No, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. It didn't say that Jesus cried. It didn't say that Jesus was upset. He wept, weeping. He knew how it was going to end. But even their temporary pain moved him. He knows that your pain is temporary too. He knows how it ends for you but it still creates that compassion in him. He hears our prayer. Oh, I love this passage. This is from the New Living, Psalm 56. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. See, he's heard our prayer, and we are not forgotten. And we so quickly forget our future and we lose hope so easily and forget that we're sons and daughters. And I'm going to invite you guys. um, We're going to worship some right now and we're going to take communion right now. And I'm going to invite you. We're just going to meditate on on some scriptures. We're just going to change our focus from the temporary that is seen to the eternal which is unseen. And we're just going to make this shift and say, God, oh, I'm in this stage of groaning. And, and you fill me with all good things because you're good. But he never minimizes our groaning. And he's with us in it. Why don't you pray with me? So Jesus, it seems hard to believe that you're so good. And God, in this world where we see so much struggle and just real hard times and stuff, you come in and you give us hope. God, you come in and you give us a future that is amazing. You say that something is is to be born in us, which will make all of this seem completely worth it. And God, we look forward to that day. I thank you that you love us in the midst of all of it. So God, right now, we're just going to turn our hearts to to you, and we're just going to just meditate on your word, God. I pray that your spirit would just come and speak to us, God, in those deep places, God. I really believe that 
that you really just want to communicate that you've heard our prayer. You haven't abandoned us. This is from Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself among them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This is for sure happening. This is your future. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. This is from John 14. These are promises from Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is great news. Remember the tension that we who are mortal but love like immortals. We will be in heaven, a place where our love can be fully expressed without any fear of loss. 1 Corinthians 15, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself in the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's take communion together. If you need a place to to pray, we invite you to just come forward in any of these two front rows. If you want to pray with somebody, go to the front rows. If you just like to be by yourself, you can go to the second row and, and we'll give you your space. Let's just thank the one who gives us hope that is real and true and good. Praise be to Jesus.